Georgia's DBHDD is warning all Georgians that half of all opioid deaths happen at home when people take an oxy or a perk with a glass of alcohol for stress or to sleep. Learn more about protecting families from opioid overdoses at opioidresponse.info. You're listening to Nothing Funny About Money. I'm Matt Corin. And I'm Michael Thomas. We're here with Jessica Parks, a graduate student in the personal finance program at the University of Georgia. Hey! We are also here with Chris Shoup. We're in the WUGA studios in Athens, Georgia. And you know what? It's our favorite time of the year. Tax time! So, understanding income taxes is really, really important. The federal government gets more money from our income taxes than any other source. Plus, a lot of states have income taxes, too. And I'll let you in on a secret. Doing the right thing can save you lots of money. So stay tuned. Let me tell you how it will be. There's one for you, 19 for me. That was George Harrison and the Beatles with Taxman, a song where they complain about paying too much income tax. And the lyric there, one for you, 19 for me, they're referring to a tax rate of 95%. Back in the 1960s, the British government took 95% of everything you earned over about a million dollars. So a lot of taxes. And after that, they did everything they could to dodge tax, like by forming a separate company that owned all their songs. I thought they were like uh, hippies or something. Very rich, very greedy hippies. <laughs> and Mike, you were once an accountant, right? Yeah, I, I was. I used to. Uh, I used to be an auditor. I would go and just be put into a back corner somewhere and file taxes for companies. So how do you feel about tax time? Honestly, <laughs> this is like the most stressful time of year. Anybody who's gone through a busy season knows exactly what I mean. So you had all these upset clients? Yeah, you have upset clients. I was upset. Ashley threatened to leave me at one point in oh, time man. with my wife. Yep. Uh, taxes just, man, they, they, they rile me up, dude. This oh, is, well, I can see that. This is a big deal. You have some wealthy people complaining about how high their taxes are. And what they don't realize is that this is the golden era of low tax rates, really, mm, yeah. when we think about things. And then, and this is what really blows my mind, you have low-income families that won't file their taxes, which would result in their child optimizing their financial aid award package. Yeah, we've got lots of unclaimed credits. Yeah, dude, I'm tired, Matt. I'm tired. Just file your taxes. Just file your tax return. Like, please, please do it. It, yeah. saves, it saves people so much money. Oh, man. I can't do it. Matt, I, I can't do it. You know, in fact, I'm, uh, yeah, I think I'm going to leave. What? What? Yeah, Matt. Uh, yeah, this is, dude, this is, I, I can't. I'm out. But we've got to, we're in the middle of recording. I know we're in the middle, but people aren't going to listen to me anyway. They haven't been listening to me up to this point. So why, why um, do I need to sit here and say the same thing um, that I've been saying over and over again? Uh, um, okay. All right. Uh, I'm gone. Okay. Uh, glad we don't do these live. Um, I just need to remind myself to edit all that out.
Well, as Michael said, understanding income taxes is really complicated. To help us understand how we go from our gross income to how much we owe in taxes, we have to follow a step-by-step process. We start with gross income. Then we take deductions down to taxable income. When we multiply the taxable income by tax rates, then you get your tax bill. But then we take out credits to finally get the amount of tax owed. And while that bill might go into the thousands of dollars, you've probably been paying it throughout the year in the form of withholdings. This all makes a lot more sense if we use an example. So let's imagine Stephanie. She makes $45,000 a year, and she's a single filer. She's not married. She's going to file her taxes by herself. We start with her gross income, which is $45,000. Next, we have to get to her adjusted gross income, which is AGI. First, we take a look at her four AGI deductions, meaning her retirement contributions, business expenses, and or student expenses. These four AGI deductions are really great. These things can pull your gross income down by thousands of dollars, which means you then pay a lot less in taxes. For example, let's say she had a retirement expense. Maybe she contributed $5,000 to her 401k. That now means that her AGI is $40,000. $45,000 minus $5,000 is $40,000. People who have small businesses and save a lot for retirement tend to have a lot of four AGI deductions. But everybody else, the majority of Americans, don't tend to have very many four AGI deductions. What's much more common is what are called from AGI deductions. It's actually an entirely different set of deductions from those other things. For example... You could choose between taking the standardized deduction or the itemized deduction. Itemized deductions are things such as charitable donations or giving things to the goodwill or donating to the church. Some other things include paying your mortgage or state taxes. But most adults will probably end up taking the standardized deduction. And when we say most adults, we mean like 95% of Americans are going to be taking the standard deduction. There's a lot of confusion about itemized deductions because people hear about them. There's a ton of them. And they think, if I do some of these itemized deductions, I'm going to save so much on my taxes. And let's start with charitable deductions. So this is a really common one that people hear is going to save them a ton of money. And maybe it really doesn't. My standardized deduction would be about $12,000. Well, I'll probably give maybe $2,000 total in charitable deductions. So even though I've gave $2,000, $2,000 is less than $12,000. So I really can't count that towards my taxes. The $2,000 that you donated cuts your taxes by exactly $0. Yay! Yeah. Imagine you go to Goodwill and you donate $300 of old clothes and old furniture. And at the end of your donation, they say, would you like a receipt for tax purposes? And that sounds great. Yeah, I'd love a tax receipt. I can save money on my taxes. You won't. You won't. Unless you're in this very tiny percentage of Americans who have all these other itemized deductions that outweigh the standard deduction. Because most people are going to take the standard deduction, we just have to do the simple thing of looking at what's your AGI. In Stephanie's case, it's $40,000 and subtract the standard deduction, which in 2019 is about $12,000. 
So we take 40,000 minus 12 and we get to $28,000. That's going to be Stephanie's taxable income. In order to calculate our taxes owed, we multiply that tax base by a tax rate. The simplest possible scenario is if there was just one tax rate. But there's not just one tax rate. No, of course not. That'd be too easy. Because this gets a little complicated, I thought we'd bring a special guest expert to talk us through the process. So let's welcome back to the show... Monty the Money Mongoose. Oh, thanks for having me back on the show. It's our pleasure, Monty. Why do we have more than one tax rate? Well, the United States has a progressive tax system. As a person's income goes up, then pay a higher and higher tax rate. And this rate applies to all of our income? No, that's a big misconception. The first dollars you earn are part of a tax bracket with a low tax rate. As you earn more money, those earnings go into a new tax bracket with a higher rate. So one person pays different tax rates on different parts of their income? I literally just said that. Ah, Sorry, I didn't have my coffee today. There are currently seven brackets that go from 10% on the low end up to 37%. All taxable income under $10,000 is taxed at just 10%. So if my salary is $10,000, I owe 10% of that or $1,000. No, no, no. Please, pay attention. We're talking about taxable income. Your salary is reduced by deductions, and the smallest possible deduction is over $12,000. So if your salary is $10,000, your taxable income would be zero, and you wouldn't owe any taxes. Oh, God, this stuff is so confusing. Let's say you have more than $10,000 in taxable income. You'd pay 10% on the entire $10,000, so $1,000. Ah, and then what's left over would be taxed at a higher rate. Exactly. The next tax bracket is 12%. That's assessed on your taxable income between 10000 and 40000 Stephanie's taxable income was $28,000, so she'd pay 10% on the first 10000 and 12% on the next 18000 And then I can just go on and on about this. It's so incredibly informative and fun. So in other words, the 1000 from the first bracket and the 2000 on the second bracket, that's a total tax bill of $3,000. The highest tax rate you pay is called your marginal tax rate. So in this case, 12%. But that 12% is not levied on all your income. What if I have a chance to make one extra dollar? How much will that be taxed? It's taxed at your marginal rate, so 12% in this example. If I make an extra dollar and it moves me into the next tax bracket, will I pay more taxes on my other income? No, only on the income that's in that bracket. Are there any exceptions to that? Well, extra income can mess up your tax credits. Tax credits? This is so complicated. Yes, amazingly, we're not even done yet. We still need to check if she qualifies for any credits. And because this is running really long, the answer is no. She does not qualify for any. Well, what are some of the common credits? Credits are commonly for having children and dependents. For working, but having a really low income and for educational expenses. So her tax bill of 3000 stands. We like to know someone's marginal tax rate because it informs decisions about earning more money. 
but we also like to know someone's average tax rate just because it's so much fun. So we can figure out Stephanie's effective tax rate by taking her $3,000 tax bill and dividing her gross income, which was $45,000, to get 7%. So she owes $3,000 when she files her taxes. No. Oh, my God. She has probably been paying withholdings with every paycheck. The government takes some taxes out of each paycheck, so you pay a little at a time rather than everything all at once. So let's say she gets paid monthly. So let's say each month they take out $300 in federal withholdings. She's already paid 300 times 12, or $3,600. She overpaid? She sure did, so all the more reason for her to file a return. Okay, I hope I'm starting to get this. We've got to take a break now, mercifully. When we get back, how to file a tax return. Thanks for your help, Monty. Anytime, and remember, always tip your server. What? Always tip your server. Is is that your catchphrase or something? Bye. Okay, kind of random, but I guess still good advice. Before we go, quiz time! Millions of Americans are like Stephanie in that they overpaid throughout the year and need to file a return to get that money back. So the question is, how much money is left unclaimed each year by Americans who fail to file a tax return? Think about it. Mull it over. Make bets with your friends. We'll get you that answer after the break. You're listening to Nothing Funny About Money on WUGA. 91.7 and 94.5 FM. I'm Matt Gorin. And I'm Michael Thomas. Reach out. We'd love to answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And connect with us online at nothingfunnyaboutmoney.org. Support for Nothing Funny About Money comes from Elwood and Getz, financial planning and investments. As fee-only financial planners, they are fiduciaries to their clients. ElwoodGetz.com. That's E-L-W-O-O-D-G-O-E-T-Z.com. And from Sally Mae, families can search for scholarships, make a plan to pay for college, and find private, undergraduate, parent, and graduate student loans at SallyMae.com. And now it's time for another Moments in American History. In Revolutionary America, the Continental Congress levied income taxes to fund the war effort. In those days, we didn't have dollars, so people paid with deer antlers. That's why our currency is called bucks. The marginal tax rate used to be higher than it is today. It peaked in the 1950s at 110%. In other words, if you made more money, you made less money. This is where the phrase, give 110%, comes from. Also, the phrase, sometimes less is more. The IRS once accepted IOUs instead of tax payments. In 1929, not a single person actually paid their taxes, causing the Great Depression. The 1040EZ form got its name because it's the only form you're allowed to complete with a crayon. (laughs) This has been another Moments in American History. Welcome back. I'm Matt Gorin. I'm here with Jessica Parks, filling in for Michael Thomas. Before the break, we asked how much money goes unclaimed each year by people who don't file their tax returns. And the answer? Over $1 billion. Yes! Yes, Chris, for the first time, that's actually the right answer. What? Really? (laughs) Yes. What? How is this possible? Why don't people file? I'm confused. 
filing is so confusing. People don't know that they actually have to go through the process of filing because a lot of people think it's all done for you. I actually know someone back in Oakland, California, where I used to work, and he was a server, and he had withholding taxes paid throughout the year. So he actually knew he was supposed to file a return to get his money back. But what he didn't know is that he wasn't paying withholdings on his tips. Oh! So when he went to file the return, he didn't get money back. The IRS says, you owe us like 2000 bucks. And like most servers, he didn't happen to have 2000 bucks just sitting around. So then he was in a lot of trouble. But at least he filed the return to know that he owed that money. Because what would have been even worse is if it was a big surprise a few months later when the IRS says, hey, you owe us two grand and a penalty and interest. And for servers who don't pay withholdings, so like they're paid Ouch. under the table, then you lie and say you don't made the money. And hopefully you don't do that, but a lot of people of do. Course, of course why you should you, do that. Why would you do that? That's so terrible. <laughs> So this is the big mistake among servers is this idea that like, oh, I'm better off by not paying. But do this math on how much you're actually pulling in as income. Given that the standard deduction is 12000 you might owe like basically nothing. You might qualify for tax credits. So a lot of them may actually be worse off by not reporting yeah. because then they're not getting the earned income tax credit. They're not getting a negative tax rate. They could actually be paid to file. Right. But a lot of them don't because they think they're outsmarting the government. Huge problem for servers. I know a lot of servers, especially out in California, and it's like, oh, what are you doing? You think you're outsmarting the IRS, and instead you're outsmarting yourself. You're costing yourself maybe $500 a year. But another problem is how expensive tax preparers can be. Speaking of which, people can get help with tax preparation, but tax preparation can cost some money. It's estimated that people spend on average 200 to $500 to get their taxes filed. Yeah. So having an accountant do this for you can cost you a few hundred bucks that you might not have. And then another set of tax preparers say, I'll do this for you for free. And in fact, I'll pay you to get your taxes filed with me. And the process here may be too good to be true. There is something called refund anticipation loans. And how those loans work is, let's say Stephanie knows that she's going to get a refund back of maybe $600. Well, the company may tell her that her refund is only $200. But really, they're keeping $400 and they're loaning her $200 while they're waiting for her tax refund to come in. So she's paying $400 to borrow $200 of her own money. But from Stephanie's point of view, if Stephanie doesn't understand how taxes work, she's thinking, this is awesome. I just got $200 for doing basically nothing. And this fraudulent tax preparer is really happy because they just made 400 bucks of someone else's money. Exactly. That's the world of refund anticipation loans. So you're probably wondering, oh, I have to pay taxes. I have to pay someone to pay me taxes. And what if they take my money? Well, that's where VITA comes in, Volunteer Income Tax Assistance Program. VITA is a national program. It's sanctioned by the IRS, and there's a VITA program in basically every single city in the United States. So if you're an athens Clark County resident who makes under $55,000, 
then come out to the Georgia United Credit Union and other locations and have expert UGA students prepare your taxes for you for free. And we will not take your money from you. What if I'm a business owner? Well, typically, the VITA students can help someone if they earn about under $25,000 for a business. But it's really good just to come in and get a free review just to see. There you go. Any filing status, you can have kids, you can be from the military, you can be an international person living in the United States. And if you're worried that these are students who are helping out with this, they are supervised by faculty, and they go through a pretty extensive training program that lasts for an entire semester. That means that VITA historically has a 97% accuracy rate. So let's say you are interested in VITA. Where should you go? Well, first, let's say that you're not in Athens. You can Google your city plus the word VITA, V-I-T-A, and that should help you find the VITA site nearest you. But let's say you are in Athens. You can sign up through the Georgia United Credit Union's website and make an appointment there. We also accept some walk-ins. There you go. The time commitment is just an hour, and you can even come back if you're missing information. Even if you've already filed your taxes on your own, you can go to VITA to have them double-check the work that you've done. Absolutely free. One issue that pops up with filing is who has to file a tax return versus who should file a tax return. Generally, you don't need to file unless you make more than about $10,000. But everyone should file because you just never know if you could get something back. And there's free filing options for people who make less than about $60,000. We've already talked about VITA, but companies like TurboTax also offer free filing. Outside of that, let's say you have a child who's going to college. Well, you're going to need to file your tax return in order to complete the FAFSA process. And that means the opportunity to get free money from Pell Grants and scholarships. You can also get free money from those tax credits that we skipped over in the first half of the episode. Even if you don't make a lot of money, you might qualify for the earned income credit. The government might pay you to file your taxes. Speaking of free money, we have brought Kathleen Burns Kingsbury back on the show. She's going to help us understand some money myths around tax refunds. Every spring, people file their taxes and the government hands out free money. Why is that? Free money? It's not free money. It's not? What is a tax refund then? A tax refund is actually an interest-free loan that you've given the government because you miscalculated what your taxes were. (laughs) Why would I do that, though? Why would I give the government interest-free money? Well, I think what you're talking about, Matt, is there's a belief, and it's a money myth out there, that basically... If you get a tax refund, it's kind of bonus money. It's like free money from the government. And it can feel like free money, but it's not. It's really just your money that you could have kept in your pocket that you gave to the government for a short period of time. Some people think that this is free money, as you're saying that's this big myth. Other people, like you and I, realize there's this interest-free loan. Does that affect behavior? Are the people who think it's free money acting differently than the people who don't? I think so. I mean, I think if you think of it as bonus or free money, that when you get the refund, you are going to think about it differently in terms of let's do something that's fun because it's a bonus, it's extra money. And I also think it impacts your tax planning in that there are some people that 
don't fully understand this concept. So they basically really want to go for let's get the biggest refund we can, as opposed to, you know, given your background and I know, given my background, that you really want to try to break even when it comes to taxes. It sounds like it could be dangerous for people who say, I want the biggest refund possible. And then, like you said, it's found money. I'm going to go take a trip. That would be really damaging to somebody's finances in the long run. It can be. And I think as you become more and more sophisticated around money, you realize that that isn't what it is. But I do think there's a large number of Americans who do buy into this myth. And in some ways, uh, it certainly can be fun to think of it as bonus money and to get excited about it. Um, The reality is a little bit less exciting, but it's certainly something that I think uh, couples and uh, individuals really need to think about because tax planning is part of being financially fit. It may not be exciting or sexy, but it's something that you need to do. The best way then to manage it is to reduce your withholdings, get the lowest refund possible. For those people who want the big refund or maybe messed up tax planning and they're going to get a big refund, is there a good way to spend that refund it's interesting because I want to I want to come clean. There was one year in my business that I had a very, very, very large refund. And uh, I think what's important is to know that it's not an exact science. So sometimes you're off or your accountant's off. Um, but I do think when it comes to getting that money, it's really thinking through what makes sense for me or if you're you know, in a couplehood, what makes sense for us. I think if you are going to get a refund, one of the things that you need to do is think about what are the ways in which you can invest it. And this could be invested in something like, oh, you know, we weren't going to be able to afford to go to New York City and see the theater. Or it could be invested in, oh, we want to pay down some of our mortgage. And granted, those are two very different things. So one of the things that I always do is have a conversation with my partner, Brian, about, okay, what would you like to do with this refund? And then I say what I'd like to do. And because we are different people, we tend to have different money mindsets. My advice to the people listening is try to be respectful of both partners. Like if one person wants to do something fun and one person wants to do something that's a little bit more conservative or responsible, however you want to label it, you know, you don't have to do one or the other. You can actually take that refund, split it in half and say, we're going to put some towards the mortgage and we're going to put some towards a trip. And so I don't think there's a right answer, but there's a conversation that needs to happen. Couples need to figure that out on their own. And for those people who don't know, most married couples file jointly. So it's not like you've got your refund and I've got my refund. We have our refund. And then, as you said, they need to figure out exactly how do we divvy this up or what goals do we agree we're going to try to fund. And you speak a lot about money issues for couples. That's your niche. (laughs) If people want to learn how to break money silence when it comes to managing their tax refund, where should they go? I think they should go to breakingmoneysilence.com. And I, you can learn tips and tools on having an effective money conversation, how to fight fair financially. Um, but yes, I do believe that partners who talk about money and break money silence, whether it's around tax refunds, Matt, or around all this other stuff that we talk about with money, um, that it leads to a better relationship and a happier situation. So that's what I would recommend. There you go. Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, break money silence, have a better relationship, and spend your tax refund wisely. Thanks, Kathleen, for being on the show. Thanks, Matt. Get your refunds. File your returns. 
be sure to check out Vita or try to file your taxes yourself, or you can even check out services such as TurboTax or TaxSlayer. These services are made free to you if you earn less than $60,000. If you're having trouble with any of this, reach out. Visit nothingfunnyaboutmoney.org and send us a message. We're happy to help over email, phone, or in person. And if you help out an organization, we love to speak to an audience. We've given talks literally coast to coast and want to hear from you, too. We also very much appreciate your direct support. Please visit our website and donate. We need your help to keep up the good work. If you work for a financial services organization, please consider underwriting our show. Send us a message and let the world know you support public radio and financial education. Is that it? I think so. Thanks again, as always, to our executive producer, Chris Shoup, our audio engineers, Garrett Burke and Gene Davis, and Kathleen Burns-Kingsbury from BreakingMoneySilence.com. And thank you all so much for listening. Until next time, peace. You've been listening to Nothing Funny About Money. This show is recorded in the studios of WUGA Athens on the University of Georgia campus. I'm Matt Gorin. And I'm Michael Thomas. Reach out. We'd love to answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And connect with us online at nothingfunnyaboutmoney.org.